Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. The Bob Cordaro Show podcast. This is why I have lifelong love. I, I played small college football, so I'm up for Rochester every week, obviously. And I was always in love with Notre Dame. But I'm telling you, this Deion Sanders has me rooting for Colorado like crazy. That That's the game I watched. A nail-biter, great ending. Did, did you hear what he said? Oh, they're going to be after him. They will be after Deion Sanders. I promise you they will. As soon as you mention old school and responsibility and politeness and being men and being responsible, the left will start to attack him. And it's our job to defend him and support him on an incredible mission that could catch on in college sports and beyond. So I'm all in on Neon Dion. By the way, somebody texted in, worked at Thompson 26 years. The company left because of greed. I, I don't disagree with that, by the way. Not because of union demands. If you don't know what you're talking about, keep quiet. <laughs> I think you know, particularly if you work there, that the union at Thompson Consumer Electronics did not want to change job descriptions and alterations. A lot of non-cash inflexibility on behalf of the union helped push that decision. Of course, NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, did the rest. And greed of the company. I don't think you could say... That the worker, the and I'm not going to say the workers, the union leadership did not have a role in Thompson leaving and all those great jobs. And again, don't don't get like that, where as soon as you hear something, you, you're triggered. Try to listen to the whole discussion and respond to the whole discussion, and, and I'm I'm in with that. I just remember all of the good people who had worked there for years and and all the good people who had depended upon working there for years losing their jobs, and there was a lot of blame to go around. And I fear 
that if these UAW demands are met, and, and maybe more importantly, if they are not met, that we won't have an American auto industry with union workers. It'll be all non-union. There is, you can only push so far, even if the other side is not right. We'll see. We'll see if the UAW gets that delicate balance. Well, if these companies, which are offering 21% raises, give those raises, when there's a downturn, where do they turn? To the government for another bailout? Certain things are untenable. Understood that a company like Thompson was much more opaque than the finances of the big three automakers. But the principle is the same. All right, well, I talked about 60 Minutes. One of the great stories was about Deion Sanders. The other was about Israel and this court takeover that Bibi Netanyahu and others are trying to maneuver, much like the left is trying to do here. The right is trying to take over the courts, which are thwarting their aims. And with equal potential for disaster. Isn't that odd? Our left is trying to do exactly what Bibi Netanyahu is doing. And they're decrying it as anti-democratic in Israel, but doing it in America. And then there was a third story. Really, they're they're first. Russia, Ukraine. And it pointed out a few things. Number one, that I've been what I've been saying out all along. We're a day late and a dollar short with everything we've provided them. We fought and fussed and fuss budgeted about tanks, planes, cluster bombs, everything. We're six months too late, and six months in a war of attrition is a lifetime. And we've, this is my own thought, our failure to use our energy capacity, which is the greatest weapon we have against Russia, is the biggest disaster of this Russia-Ukraine war. And then it came out, and that tough little bugger, Vladimir Zelensky, he spelled it out clearly. It's a fight to the death. And he said, all I can give these people for all their suffering, meaning the Ukrainians, is victory. And I I had a back and forth with John Perillo last night because Monday Musings was coming up, and he had something else planned. And I said, John, if you could switch gears with me because of this piece on 60 Minutes, I would love it. And he has. John Perillo, welcome. It's Monday Musings. It's good to be here. I was wondering whether we're going to do this or Neon Dion or uh, uh, Bibi Netanyahu. Boy, it was all great. They were great stories. And and there was there was you could, you know you could tell where they're trying to take it off track and where they're trying to pursue their agenda, right. but the facts of the stories, the actual facts, did get out. 
Yeah, and and for your listeners who didn't actually watch 16 Minutes last night, and I hadn't, Bob had texted me, and I was still working on something else, and I went in, and and my wife had found it on the internet. We watched it. I, I, it's extraordinarily moving. Um, I, I don't know how you listen to Zelensky and not be moved. I and mean, the guy's a great motivational speaker. Um, and that's on the one hand, right? On the other hand, you know, you sh- we shouldn't be making emotional decisions, right? So we got to look at those things both ways. But um, I-, I think there is an element of-, of emotion that we, you know, we should use properly. And his line, which he repeated several times. Well, I, 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 I believe this. We should make logical decisions with maximum emotion. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think, I think you got to. But, but we I, can't I, leave I, our I common sense or logic. Right, right. Yeah. You can't leave those two things aside, and I, you see that a lot. And, but his one of his comments that really struck me was that his people are dying to prevent World War III. I just he said that I think twice, and it was it was an amazing comment. And and you know we can parse that a little bit, but in reality, this is the front on the next war. That is you know the next European war. And I and I had I'm happy you uh, qualified European war. Yeah, it is a European war, and I've had a, a um, kind of a vocal disagreement with a group of very, very bright people that I know about the, you know, what, what do we, why are we there? What do we care? And the line, the classic line is, it's not our circus, not our monkeys, right? Why, why would we even do this? You know, and, and um, Zelensky brought up a line. He said, interesting, will Russia stop? Is this hyperbole, right? That, you know, because his line from Zelensky's line was, what do you do when they mass on the border of Poland and on and on the Baltics and the like? And a couple of things come out of that. One is that if you look at who's donating what as a percentage of GDP, the countries that are donating the absolute most to this campaign are the Baltic states, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. Now, as that that's a percentage of their GDP, so in absolute dollars, it's actually pretty small. But you got to understand that these countries under they believe that this is more than just a Ukrainian problem. Yeah, I mean, you so, could only give what you could give. It's an unfair right. argument to say that we're contributing more. Well, we're bigger. I mean, if you took Europe as a whole, it should be about equal to the United States and maybe a little more, but, you know. And Europe is, and Europe is you know, the, the Finland, you know, the, the European countries are donating a lot. We donate more of the military stuff, and that's frankly because we have more. But So there's a bit of that going on. But there was the other thing is, you know, the question we have to ask is, like Bob says, we have to be completely logical and then react, you know, with, with maximum emotion after we view things logically. So is there, is there a counterargument to the, the comment that Zelensky said that, hey, look, you know, we are avoiding World War III with our troops and our people, um, and Russia intends to do more? And my answer to that is, well, we could ask the Russians. And there was a, a Russian general named Andrei Mordachekov. He died. He was killed by the Ukrainians early, fairly early in the in the conflict. And but there's an interview with him out there someplace on the web, and you can find it. And in his interview, he basically says, "This will be a long, protracted struggle because this is the first phase. The second phase is liberating the rest of Eastern Europe." Hmm. Now, what the reason why I bring that up is for the not my circus, not my monkeys crowd. That that is the counter argument. The Russians themselves, and and by the way, this general was in charge not just of the Ukraine invasion. He was it was it was his CENTCOM, his central command that he was in control of, included that region. So, and knowing how the Russians operate, I guarantee you he was not saying what he thought. 
he was saying what the policy of, of Putin was. Well, so I, I, we've got to ta- we got to take a break, John. But I'll harken back to something you say often, which has it's beyond a ring of truth. It is a truism, and that is when someone says something, believe them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. John Perillo, Monday Musings. We're going to take a break and come back talking about that great 60 Minutes piece on the Ukraine war interviewing uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine. We'll be back on the Bob Cadaro Show. This is why I have lifelong love. I, I played small college football, so I'm up for Rochester every week, obviously. And I was always in love with Notre Dame. But I'm telling you... This Deion Sanders has me rooting for Colorado like crazy. That that's the game I watched. A nail biter, great ending. Did, did you hear what he said? Oh, they're going to be after him. They will be after Deion Sanders. I promise you, they will. As soon as you mention old school and responsibility and politeness. And being men and being responsible, the left will start to attack him. And it's our job to defend him and support him on an incredible mission that could catch on in college sports and beyond. So I'm all in on Neon Dion. By the way, somebody texts in, worked at Thompson 26 years. The company left because of greed. I I don't disagree with that, by the way. Not because of union demands. If you don't know what you're talking about, keep quiet. (laughs) I think you know, particularly if you work there, that the union at Thompson Consumer Electronics did not want to change job descriptions and alterations. A lot of non-cash inflexibility on behalf of the union helped push that decision. Of course, NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, did the rest and greed of the company. I don't think you could say that the worker, the and I'm not going to say the workers, the union leadership did not have a role in Thompson leaving. And all those great jobs. And again, don't don't get like that. Where as soon as you hear something, you, you're triggered. Try to listen to the whole discussion and respond to the whole discussion. And, and I'm I'm in with that. I just remember all of the good people who had worked there for years, and and all the good people who had depended upon working there for years. Losing their jobs, and there was a lot of blame to go around. And I fear that if these UAW demands are met, and and maybe more importantly, if they are not met, that we won't have an American auto industry with union workers. It'll be all non-union. There is, you can only push so far even if the other side is not right. We'll see.
We'll see if the UAW gets that delicate balance. Well, if these companies, which are offering 21% raises, give those raises, when there's a downturn, where do they turn? To the government for another bailout? Certain things are untenable. Understood that a company like Thompson was much more opaque than the finances of the big three automakers. But the principle is the same. All right, well, I talked about 60 Minutes. One of the great stories was about Deion Sanders. The other was about Israel and this court takeover that Bibi Netanyahu and others are trying to maneuver much like the left is trying to do here, the right is trying to take over the courts, which are thwarting their aims. And with equal potential for disaster. And that odd? Our left is trying to do exactly what Bibi Netanyahu is doing. And they're decrying it as anti-democratic in Israel, but doing it in America. And then there was a third story. Really, their their first. Russia, Ukraine. And it pointed out a few things. Number one, that I've been what I've been saying out all along. We're a day late and a dollar short with everything we've provided them. We fought and fussed and fuss budgeted about tanks, planes, cluster bombs, everything. We're six months too late, and six months in a war of attrition is a lifetime. And we've, this is my own thought, our failure to use our energy capacity, which is the greatest weapon we have against Russia, is the biggest disaster of this Russia-Ukraine war. And then it came out, And that tough little bugger, Vladimir Zelensky, he spelled it out clearly. It's a fight to the death. And he said, all I can give these people for all their suffering, meaning the Ukrainians, is victory. And I I had a back and forth with John Perillo last night because Monday Musings was coming up. And he had something else planned. And I said, John, if you could switch gears with me because of this piece on 60 Minutes, I would love it. And he has. John Perillo, welcome. It's Monday Musings. It's good to be here. I was wondering whether we're going to do this or Neon Dion or uh, ben, uh, Bibi Netanyahu. Boy, it was all great. I, I, they were great stories. And and there was there was you could, you know you could tell where they're trying to take it off track and where they're trying to pursue their agenda, right. but the facts of the stories, the actual facts, did get out. Yeah, and and for your listeners who didn't actually watch sixty minutes last night, and I hadn't, Bob had texted me, and I was still working on something else, and I went in and and my wife had found it on the internet. We watched it. I, I, it's extraordinarily moving. Um, I, I don't know how you listen to Zelensky and not be. Moved. I mean, he's a great motivational speaker, um, and that's on the one hand, right? On the other hand, you know, you sh- we shouldn't be making emotional decisions, right? So we got to look at those things both ways. But um, I-, I think there is an element of, of emotion that we 
you know, we should use properly. And his line, which he repeated several times. Well, I, I, that, I, I believe this. We should make logical decisions with maximum emotion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think you gotta. But, but we I, can't I, leave I, our I common sense or logic. Right, right. Yeah. You can't leave those two things aside, and I, you see that a lot. And but his one of his comments that really struck me was that his people are dying to prevent World War Three. I just he said that I think twice, and it was it was an amazing comment. And and you know we can parse that a little bit, but in reality, this is the front on the next war that is you know the next European war. And I and I had. I'm happy you qualified uh, European war. Yeah, it is a European war. And, and I've had a, a, a kind of a vocal disagreement with a group of very, very bright people that I know about the, you know, wh what, what do we, why are we there? What do we care? And the, the line, the classic line is it's not our circus, not our monkeys, right? Why, why would we even do this? You know, and, and um, Zelensky brought up a line. He said, interesting, will Russia stop? Is this hyperbole? Right. That, you know, his line from Zelensky's line was, what do you do when they mass on the border of Poland and on and on the Baltics and the like? And a couple of things come out of that. One is that if you look at who's donating what as a percentage of GDP, the countries that are donating the absolute most to this campaign are the Baltic states, Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania. Now, as that that's a percentage of their GDP. So in absolute dollars, it's actually pretty small. But you got to understand that these countries, under, they believe that this is more than just a Ukrainian problem. Yeah, I mean, you so, could only give what you could give. It's an unfair right. argument to say that we're contributing more. Well, we're bigger. I mean, if you took Europe as a whole, it should be about equal to the United States and maybe a little more. But, you know. And Europe is, and Europe is you know, the, the Finland... You know, the, the European countries are donating a lot. We donate more of the military stuff, and that's frankly because we have more of it. So there was a bit of that going on. But there was the other thing is, you know, the question we have to ask is, like Bob says, we have to be completely logical and then react, you know, with, with maximum emotion after we view things logically. So is there, is there a counterargument to the, the comment that Zelensky said that, hey, look, you know, we are avoiding World War III with our troops and our people, um, and Russia intends to do more. And my answer to that is, well, we could ask the Russians. And there was a, a Russian general named Andrei Mordachekov. He died. He was killed by the Ukrainians early, fairly early in the, in the conflict. And, but there's an interview with him out there someplace on the web, and you can find it. And in his interview, he basically says, this will be a long, protracted struggle because this is the first phase. The second phase is liberating the rest of Eastern Europe. Hmm. Now, what the reason why I bring that up is for the not my circus, not my monkeys crowd, that that is the counter argument. The Russians themselves, and and by the way, this general was in charge not just of the Ukraine invasion. He was it was it was his CENTCOM, his central command that he was in control of, included that region. So, and knowing how the Russians operate, I guarantee you he was not saying what he thought. He was saying what the policy of, of Putin was. Well, so, I, I, we've got to take we got to take a break, John. But I'll hearken back to something you say often, which has it's beyond a ring of truth. It is a truism, and that is when someone says something, believe them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. John, John Perillo, Monday musings. We're going to take a break and come back talking about that. Great 60 Minutes piece on the Ukraine war interviewing uh, 
President Zelensky of Ukraine. We'll be back on the Bob Cadero Show. Thanks, as always, Murph. John Perillo's with us. He's uh, doing Monday musings. We're focusing on the Ukrainian situation, specifically aspects of it that were highlighted in the 60 Minutes piece last night, Uh, primarily an interview with Vladimir uh, Zelensky. Now, tell me if you took this out of it. I know I did. And I was a little surprised that he was semi-blunt in this regard. He, he said what I've been saying, and I think a lot of people have been saying. I'm not trying to pretend it's original to me. That the United States has been a day late and a dollar short with its support. And it's hurting. And it's hurting their efforts. And as we know, it's killing Ukrainians. He, he, he said that without saying that. And he yes. said it pretty much in detail, right? I mean, one of the things he discussed, and I'll give you an example where I thought he was particularly effective. He was talking about the armored advance, right? So uh, when, when uh, the Russians invaded, the Ukrainians had really very little to stop them with in terms of high-technology weapons, and they did it the old-fashioned way. They dug ditches. They did all the, all the stuff you do to, to make armor less effective, and then the, and the and the Russians didn't really fight a, a good combined arms campaign, and we've talked about that in Monday musings, right? They didn't dismount troops, they left their uh, equipment in the open, uh, where where when we did give them uh, handheld stingers and things like that, uh, it became easier for the Ukrainians to defeat the Russian armor, which was their the, should have been the big advantage that they had. Um, then the question gets asked: Well, the the, the Ukrainian armor, which is now Leopard tanks and uh, some of the some of the European donations has stalled versus the Russians, um, and and so they ask Ukraine, asked Zelensky, you know, why is that? What do you what's going on? And he basically came up and said, you know, two things. One, we're, we're we are in fact stalled, and we're now fighting this um, bloody battle. And he didn't use the word company size, but you know, for those of you who were listening to Monday Musings a couple of Mondays ago, we talked about this, right? When you don't have large uh, air forces and you don't have artillery, you have to fight these company size operations with fire and maneuver. And he said that the that they were fighting these small operations and they would continue to do that. And, and how that, how and large is a company? A company is a uh, hundred something people, and okay. you know, depending on the, on the on the and and in the case of the Ukrainians, probably. You know, one or two pieces of armor, but not necessarily a tank. You know, uh, yeah. an armored personnel carrier or something like that. And the other thing for your listeners, because the, the other thing that you know, the counter to the pro let's let's arm Ukraine argument is, look, they're stalling, and uh, they're they're running out of steam. The Ukrainians are running out of steam, and yeah, they are. They don't have the arms to continue this offensive fight. And the second thing I would point out is that the offense is always more difficult than the defense. So when the Russians were attacking the Ukrainians and the Ukrainians were falling back and allowing the Russians to, to advance till their supply lines got too long and then cutting off the supply, that, that's how you fight a defensive operation. In an offensive operation against a dug-in em- enemy, you're slugging it out, and that's a lot slower and a lot harder. And, John Perlow, they what, don't have, because of the delays and the monkeying around of the Biden administration, we remember the Polish wanted to give them – uh, air cover. I, I don't. Know, how do you advance without air cover of of any sophistication? And he and Zelensky actually talked about. It. He mentioned air specifically, 
And he mentioned, and he made another interesting comment about his drones. And I, I, it's actually tied to your comment, Bob. So what he basically said was, we don't use U.S. or we don't use allied provided weapons outside of the territory of Ukraine. And then he stops because the interview was asking about drones hitting Moscow and he doesn't say anything. Right. So what he's basically saying is, look, if you provide us these weapons, we will use them within our territory. But outside of our territory, you know, we're going to use whatever we have. And, and he, he said he's, you know, he made this comment that was kind of a moral obligation for them to do so. I thought that was an interesting comment as well. Uh, and he's asking for, I think, another 24 billion in, in weapons. And, I, and again, I know I, I, the, the other another counter argument is we, we don't have this money. And I, again, my well, also, I, 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 I take the opposite. Money is fungible. It's a renewable resource. Okay. But especially in, in a, in a, if they allow this economy to do what it does, but at the same point, how do the Ukrainians with very little, uh, command structure, particularly after horrendous losses they've suffered, how do they absorb $42 billion in additional weaponry? <laughs> I don't know how they do well, that. It, it changes the way you fight. Right? I apologize, so I, I, I $24 billion. Yeah. yeah, $24 billion. And, and, and honestly, at that point, it becomes a rounding error. Um, yeah. Part of this, I, I think we've got to go back to the, when an enemy tells me something, I actually listen to them. And I go back to General Mordorchev's comments that this is the first phase in a multi-phase operation to free Eastern Europe. Yeah, now, I, but, but he, John, I'm not, I'm not harping on that point. I, I can't disagree with that point. Uh, the Russians, at least Putin, uh, before this uh, face-slapping that he's received, uh, was intent upon restoring the USSR to Russian control. But... <sighs> Can the Ukrainians, as our proxies, absorb this level of equipment? I, I just don't know how they have the structure to do it. Well, a couple of things. One, they they have pilots that are now sitting on their collective keisters because they don't have aircraft to fly. So you could immediately put them in aircraft. Still um, screwing around with the planes, huh? So, yeah. Two, they have artillery um, and they have missile systems. They need the ammo to, you know, you, those rounds are, are expensive and, you know, you, you need you need intel to know where to use them. And, you know, so, yeah, I mean, you don't fire those willy nilly. This isn't this isn't in this sense World War One where you're just saturating the battlefield. You know, these are precision munitions. Um, so, you know, you, you, you get 10 of them. You want to use them carefully. You don't want to just fire them off. So if you had 100 of them, you would have a little more flexibility. If you had a thousand of them, you have a lot more flexibility. So um, it, it, in that sense. You could spend. I can see how I could spend twenty-four billion pretty quickly. Um, but I would, again, it depends on what it is you're trying to do. If you were, you could give them a couple of Abrams, and you're, you know, you know, a billion a pop. You're gonna, you're gonna run up a bill pretty quickly to say nothing of the ammunition and the and the and the support structure that goes behind them. You throw in a couple of A10s, which they don't have the pilots for, so that's a NATO aircraft. I mean, I, I don't, I don't see the number as. The limiting factor. I think the, okay. the decision needs to be made: is what do you want? What's your goal? Right? And then everything. But we're behaving. We're behaving contrary to that goal 
by delaying all this because there's not only lead time in shipping it over, there's lead time in training, and, and we've just been dribbling this stuff out while they're in the fight for their lives. So you're either in or you're out on this thing. So I think a lot of Americans, myself in particular, look at this and say the 120 billion plus adding the 24 billion they're start they're requesting now has been given in such a haphazard fashion and so slowly that it's too little too late it seems uh, either you want to win this thing as you say you know that's why i say when when you you, you talk about vladimir uh, putin when he says something listen but when you talk yeah. about joe biden and his administration when they say something Question it. <laughs> yeah. and I'll, I'll let you do the politics. I will say it's well, very I mean, hard it's just it's, it's the reality of it. I, I, the yeah. politics is irrelevant in my view. I, I think there's right. people on both sides of the aisle that agree that we've got to, to, to hold the line here. How do you do it? Well, you do it all out. <laughs> right. Well, and, and I think, I, and I'll, I'll make the counter argument just a little bit, just for your listening. Right, so all right. Let's, we got to take a break, John, because okay. uh, we'll take a break. We'll do a little weather and then we'll come back. John Perillo, Monday Musings. We'll return. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices so join the revolution subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring listen on your odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast you'll be glad you did uh so john perillo in the couple minutes we have left uh yeah yeah, i'm trying to get out of the i'm not trying to analyze it from the political standpoint i'm trying to analyze it from the logistics standpoint if if you make a commitment to you know aid the ukrainians to, to repel the Russians, which I think is a noble goal. You do it all at once, at least to the extent that their systems and structures can handle it, and you don't stop. Yeah, I would agree with you. I'm, I'm going to make the counter-argument just because I think we have to understand the counter-argument. Um, the first thing is, always remember that war is politics by another means. Yeah. Right? So... You know, so it so can't it, be it, it can't it, be exorcised out of it. Yeah, yeah, we can't really we can't take that out, right? So, you know, Bob's point is if you're going to do something, just do it and get it over and done with. And I think there's there's a couple of value, and I agree with that, and I agree with that for a couple of reasons. And, and the first reason is Americans have notoriously short attention spans, and and we don't have a very good 
uh, track record of hanging in with long, hard projects. And we can list them, but I don't think we need to. Right. So, you know, if I if I were a politician and I had a goal, I would say, hey, I got to get this goal uh, done in a relatively short period of time before things get ugly and I and I lose my my backing in my population. That's kind of number one. The second thing is Zelensky actually brought this up and he said that Putin was looking for U.S. instability as an excuse to counterattack with theater nuclear weapons. So if you didn't see the interview, I, I strenuously suggest you go back and find mm-hmm. it and listen to that. That was a fascinating comment. And by the way, I agree with him. Because I, it's been the, but I, you know, I, I know he's, you know, he's he's hyping this situation. And, and one of the reasons, not just because of the 60 Minutes piece, but he's going to be here. Uh, yeah. Making his plea this week, he's going to be in America. So yeah. I, I thought this was the, the the subject we needed to cover. I yeah. mean, he's overstating his case, in my view, but uh, well, at least yeah. in that regard. Yeah, I, I think I think, I, but I think back to your original point was a speedy end to this early on prevents that from happening, right? Because you know, you know, if if. Is there, a, on, is there a speedy victory for Ukraine? I don't think so, no matter what. Not without, no, not without somebody else's involvement. And, and you know, one of the things that uh, Zelensky brought up is that he can't give up any territory for peace, and he mentioned that he couldn't even give up Crimea. And the fact is he's going to have to. Uh, but he can't say that. Yeah. Right? So I think, we, again, these are things that it becomes a political discussion where we have to understand the position that Zelensky's in. And, and I thought he did a Um, so am I still on? Yeah, you're on. It, it cut. For okay, a I'm second. sorry. Okay, so so and just real quickly for your listeners, you know, understand what he's going, what Zelensky's going through. He has people dying on his territory. He's got mothers and wives who, to whom he hands a medal out and says, "Hey, thank you for your son or husband's sacrifice." And then he's got people screaming at him that he needs to give up territory for peace. You know, I, I, it's, all, it's, in a, it's a very difficult situation. And so, I, like I said, I'll give you the counter argument, but I'm with Bob here. You know, we really need to – if we're going to say never again and, and mean it, then we damn well ought to mean it. Yeah. And, oh, by the way, the red lines that we provided in Syria are part of the reason why this is ongoing. Because we said in Syria that there are red lines that if, um, uh, if Bashar al-Assad crosses them, then we will respond militarily, and we didn't do it. And I'm, I and I know that people like Putin listen to that and go, "There's no way the U.S. is going to respond to me doing escalating in in Ukraine because he's seen it happen before." So our word matters, and the things we say matter. And so, yes, I agree with Bob, and I don't want to get into the politics of this, but you kind of almost have to. That every time we turn around and say X, and then we do Y, the whole world looks at us and goes, "Well, you can't rely on the Americans yep. for anything." Yep. And and that's where this becomes important. Hey, John Perillo, I'm watching the Americans arrive in Qatar. We don't have any time, but I want you to think about that as a as a mini segment. This uh, absolutely this ridiculous. Uh, it's it's people keep talking about it. it's a prisoner exchange five for five plus releasing six billion dollars. This yeah. is lunacy, and it's going I'm to lead ha- to I'm more problems. Just, yeah. just by the way, just as you said, they're watching what we do. John oh, Perillo, God. always a pleasure. Monday musings. Uh, we'll talk again next week. 
Yeah, thank you to you and your listeners again, Bob, and have a great day. It's always a pleasure talking to you. All right, my friend. And and start rooting for Neon Sanders out in Colorado. I I can't help it. I loved his speech. I heard every minute of it. I'm not a Colorado fan. I just loved it. I thought that was fantastic. I'm in. All right, man. We'll take a break. We'll be back. (sighs) Was it a suicide? I don't know. Purple Haze is the the song Murph picked on that anniversary. And there was another anniversary, and that was... Goodfellas. So we're playing clips from Goodfellas throughout the morning. And we're honoring throughout the morning veterans. Frank Subkowiak, late of Dixon City. Carl Sarr, late of Maryland, but a Taylor High grad. Earl Jr. Walters, Old Forge. Joseph Gardier, Newton Township. Uh, Franciscan Franciscan Friar, Brother Dennis Sokolowski, Nanticoke, Joseph Pazanchin, Archbald, Kenneth Lynn Tompkins, from both Carbondale and South Gibson, PA, passed away. He was late of New York State. Those are our veterans. Now let's get to Joe. You've been very patient on the UAW. How are you, Joe? I'm good, Bob. How are you? Good. I mean, how many subjects do we have to talk about every day? It's 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 sad in, in a way, but <laughs> wow. I got you. I tried to call while you were on that one, but I just missed it, unfortunately. Fire um, away, though, my man. Fire away. just want to say uh, there was a time, people forget, where we used to be able to buy a car cash without getting the banks involved. There was also a time where Detroit was the richest city, I believe, in the world close to it and all of that kind of faded away and as someone who's been in the automotive industry my entire adult life more and more parts and uh pieces get manufactured overseas yeah and this only adds to it and it is not a good thing and the proof is in look at detroit today that happened because jobs left and unfortunately the auto industry they're getting it from all angles because you got this whole EV push, which companies are spending billions with a B of dollars to buy carbon credits just to be able to meet the tough requirements the EPA is putting on them. And that, of course, gets passed down to us, the consumer. That's why we look at these trucks, and some of them are like you know, almost 100 grand, some of them are big trucks, and even regular cars. I mean, the cost is just astronomical. Yeah. And then you have the workers demanding this outrageous increase, which, I mean, it, 40% is a lot. It, and to use the CEOs and excuse, or you know, if you take everyone making you know those big amounts of dollars they say they are, and you take all their salaries, fire them, and spread it out, it's like ten cents an hour per worker. I mean, it's just there's not that many people with those jobs making that kind of money. So a company can't afford to give forty percent raise to, to, to just regular workers. Your cars would cost you seventy grand starting point. It, just, it all gets passed down to the consumer, us. And as it is right now, how many of us could afford to walk into a dealership and buy anything cash? Yeah, and in the old days, you know, as they used to say, and not that five hundred dollars wasn't a lot of money, but you could buy a Cadillac every year for five hundred bucks. You could buy a brand new Cadillac every year for five hundred bucks. When my grandfather bought my mom a car, we all went down, and it was like a family thing, and you paid cash. (laughs) And you don't see that anymore. Well, you'd get arrested if you paid cash now. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's another thing too. Yeah, they don't yeah. want they don't want they don't want you to. No, no. And, uh, it's just, it all gets passed down to the consumer. And I mean, when they want twenty bucks an hour for McDonald's, the burgers are going to cost four dollars if you do that. Well, I, the only thing us. we could hope is that the uh, leadership of these companies says, for everything we give, and we do have to give substantial increases. They've offered up to twenty one percent. Was it a suicide? I don't know. Purple Haze is the Mur- the song Murph picked. On that anniversary, and there was another anniversary, and that was Goodfellas. So we're playing clips from Goodfellas throughout the morning. And we're honoring, throughout the morning, veterans. Frank Subkowiak, late of Dixon City. Carl Sarr, late of Maryland, but a Taylor High grad. Earl Jr. Walters, Old Forge. Joseph Gardier, Newton Township. Uh, Franciscan Franciscan Friar, Brother Dennis Sokolowski, Nanticoke, Joseph Pazanchin, Archbald, Kenneth Lynn Tompkins, from both Carbondale and South Gibson, PA, passed away. He was late of New York State. Those are our veterans. Now let's get to Joe. You've been very patient on the UAW. How are you, Joe? I'm good, Bob. How are you? Good. I mean, how many subjects do we have to talk about every day? It's 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 sad in in a way, but <laughs> wow. I got you. I tried to call while you were on that one, but I just missed it, unfortunately. Fire um, away, though, my man. Fire away. Just want to say, uh, there was a time people forget where we used to be able to buy a car cash without getting the banks involved. There was also a time where Detroit was the richest city, I believe in the world close to it and all of that kind of faded away and as someone who's been in the automotive industry my entire adult life more and more parts and uh pieces get manufactured overseas yeah and this only adds to it and it is not a good thing and the proof is in look at detroit today that happened because jobs left and unfortunately the auto industry they're getting it from all angles because you got this whole EV push, which companies are spending billions with a B of dollars to buy carbon credits just to be able to meet the tough requirements the EPA is putting on them. And that, of course, gets passed down to us, the consumer. That's why we look at these trucks, and some of them are like you know, almost 100 grand, some of them these big trucks, and even regular cars. I mean, the cost is just astronomical. Yeah. And then you have the workers demanding this outrageous increase, which, I mean, it, 40% is a lot. It, and to use the CEOs and this user, you know, if you take everyone making, you know, those big amounts of dollars they say they are, and you take all their salaries, fire them, and spread it out, it's like 10 cents an hour per worker. <laughs> I mean, it's just there's not that many people with those jobs making that kind of money. So a company can't afford to give 40% raise to, to, to just regular workers. Your cars would cost you 70 grand starting point. It, just, it all gets passed down to the consumer, us. And as it is right now, how many of us could afford to walk into a dealership and buy anything cash? Yeah, and in the old days, you know, as they used to say, and not that five hundred dollars wasn't a lot of money, but you could buy a Cadillac every year for five hundred bucks. You could buy a brand new Cadillac every year for five hundred bucks. My grandfather bought my mom a car. We all went down, and it was like a family thing. And he paid cash. (laughs) And you don't see that anymore. Well, you'd get arrested if you paid cash now. (laughs) 
that's another thing too. Yeah, they don't yeah. want they don't want they don't want you to. No, no. And, uh, it's just, it all gets passed down to the consumer. And I mean, when they want twenty bucks an hour from McDonald's, the burgers are going to cost four dollars if you do that. Well, I, I, the only thing us. we could hope is that the uh, leadership of these companies says. For everything we give, and we do have to give substantial increases, they've offered up to 21%, Stellantis in particular, to the UAW members, a 21% increase. We've got to cut our white-collar uh, portion of our expenses because it don't work otherwise. Always a pleasure, my man. Thank you, Joe. All right. All right we'll take a break. It's news time. We'll be back. Congressman Dan Muser, our guest. WYLK News Radio. This is the Bob Cordaro Show Podcast. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 